Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast, the podcast that wants to get men talking. Yes, welcome along then. Another episode of Who Needs Instructions, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Um, I'm going to call him Bones because that's what everybody else calls him, but uh, I believe I'm right in saying your name is actually Simon. Is that right, Bones? It is, yes. Bones runs the Sandy Man Chop Shop. In fact, there's two. There's one in Exeter. There's one in Lyme Regis. Uh, he's a skateboarder, which is kind of how I've come across him. And there's just a brilliant story that I'd love to hear from you today, Bones. So, yeah, tell me a, a little bit about um, your career, if you like. Uh, how did you, you haven't always been a barber, have you? No, that's correct. Um, so, yeah, so I started off as a school teacher. I did a degree in music back in the, the mid-90s and then um, didn't really know what to do with a music degree, so I did a postgrad in education and started teaching in 2001. Didn't necessarily love it straight away, so I kind of taught for a year, then quit and went traveling and just surfed around um, Cape Town and windsurfed and stuff. And then came back supposedly for one term at a school and ended up staying there till um, 2014, in 2014. But during that time I trained as a barber as well. I kind of was feeling more aligned with that and the the kind of the creative elements and also the talking elements that was quite important I really liked people and that was one of the things I loved about teaching and you get that kind of one-to-one interaction which obviously now the way that my life's gone with men's mental health a little bit more that was a, a kind of a precursor to it that I wasn't aware would happen it just organically did mm. so yeah I started off as a teacher actually got to an assistant head within a secondary school kind of looking after a quarter of the school and then I now own two barbershops as you said so <laughs> A little bit of a transformation, really, but it's all Fantastic. kind of happened naturally and felt right. That's it. I mean, you know, it, it, obviously it's unusual to see that. Uh, you know, you go from being a, you know, a, someone with, let's call it, a, you know, quite a straight job, um, you know, teaching to, to being, you know, a, a barber with tattoos and a beard and you love skateboarding. But I would assume then that you are now the genuine bones as opposed to before maybe you were just trying to be what you thought you should have been. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, both my parents were in education. My mum was a teacher. They've both obviously got degrees. And so doing a degree, it, it was almost a default thing for me. And with the teaching, like I said, it was not even an expectation of my parents, but probably an expectation from myself that I should be doing a career. And there were elements that I loved, certainly like sharing music. And I am a musician, have been for as long as I can remember. So showing my love of that was great. Mm-hmm. But the bureaucracy and the negative elements of teaching, in my opinion, obviously, outweighed those. And especially when you get a um, kind of a promotion where that takes you off the chalk face, so to speak. And that was my choice, obviously. But yeah, with the barbering, I've evolved more into myself. Certainly, like I said, the creativity, the, the tattoos were part of me, but also the owning a place that I've shaped that is really a reflection of me but even that's been an evolution because when I first started I think my initial shop was quite a big one in Exeter I've shot I've got a smaller one now and like I said I've got the two um but even with that there was a lot of kind of hedonistic ego-based elements to the way that my shop was it was a lot about the way that we looked it was always about quality haircuts as well but there was certainly a lot of ego and I think for me personally from being what you described as kind of a straight-laced teacher. I wasn't really, but I was playing that part in terms of putting the suit on and all of my tattoos that I did have as a teacher were covered up. There was none on my hands or face or neck or anything like I do have now. So yeah, I was kind of playing that part and not being authentically me. I mean, tattoos aren't a massive deal in terms of what you are as a person because I believe what inside out is more important, but that was certainly an element of having to hide what I was in terms of the mm. tattoos, didn't feel authentic or right to me. So in owning this barbershop and creating it and developing it and developing it to a space now that isn't misogynistic, isn't um, in any way promoting toxic masculinity, but it's actually about having genuine, I keep using that word authentic, but authentic conversations. It's, um, you know, there's no racism, no homophobia or anything within my shops. And I'm really, I strongly oppose all of those things. So I would call people in. I, I used to call it calling people out, but I actually see it's calling mm-hmm. in because I, I would do something with love, but I will stand up for what I believe and say, but, you know, without being an arse towards people. But, you know, I'm just not yeah. going to accept any of those kind of negative 
indoctrinated thought processes. I don't even blame people for the way they think because I think most of it is actually, um, it's just learnt behaviour. You know, no one mm. is born racist or sexist or homophobic, but I'm going to be authentic to me with that and own my truth, I suppose, within my shop and every area of my life. I love that. Um, that's something that I've started to do fairly recently. I'll be completely honest with you. You know, there's a there's a lot of misogyny that goes on around, you know, friend groups mm. and in WhatsApp groups and stuff like that. And I, I am, honestly, I'm fed up with it. it it's it's not acceptable. Um, and, the, the you know, when they say, well, it's just in us, you know, it's just us three chatting in a WhatsApp group. It doesn't matter. It's 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 becoming the norm. You're allowing it to be the norm because we're still having those conversations. So um, I, I love that ethos that you've got in the shop. That's fantastic. And obviously in your everyday life as well. Thank you. The thing is that I'm sure you know is that it's not even us. It's been so um, normalised. You know, you, you look at it, even something that I've kind of rewatched recently and a little bits of is Friends, you know, the series mm-hmm. Friends. And there's so much toxic masculinity within that that when I was watching it in whether it was, whenever it was the 90s or the 2000s, I wasn't even aware of you watch all these kind of gross out um, comedy films and they, they depict it and it's just seen as funny. So we've normalized it. You even look at Disney cartoons and for the most part, they're very, very strict in the, you know, that the man is the hero the and saves the woman and all that and just depowering women in such ways. And so for us to be having these conversations and to say, no, th- this isn't normal, you know, is it's really important and and like i said that calling people in we don't have to do it in a you're wrong but we just highlight we become the mirrors for these people to actually to look at well yeah maybe you're right because for the most part the guys that are maybe and it would have been me like you said it would have been you yeah it would have been yeah. me that maybe making a little joke about the the you know the woman or whatever if that was their wives or their daughters then they'd be up in arms so it's actually putting the the human element on this unknown person or or kind of you know do you know what i mean just about oh oh yeah it's her time of the month or something which is is it's depersonalized but it's rude and and it's it's actually just putting women down and it's just not okay does that make sense yeah it makes perfect sense it really does and and like you say that that example of you know would you say that to you know in front of your if someone says that about your own wife your daughter your mother i mean you just you wouldn't find it acceptable so we shouldn't say it about anybody else or just in general conversation so i love that one i absolutely love that now listen um the skateboarding side of things that's been something i guess that's always been in your life hasn't it yeah oh without a doubt um i've always been a kind of I don't know if you know much about skateboarding, but there's a brand called Antihero, which most people know, which was started by a guy called Julian Stranger, who was a pro skater. And I've always kind of been that antihero, as in didn't really fit in at school. When I was at school, I started in, uh, was it 85 to 91, I think it was, or something like that. And skateboarding wasn't what it is now. There was me and one other skater in the whole of my school. And so we really were these antiheroes. I didn't really like football didn't want to fit into the the mainstream so I was this anti-hero type person who did his own thing the kind of geeky musician but also a creative skater so yeah the and when I meet other skaters of my generation they kind of get it and a lot of them have gone off into you know they are quite often tattooed again not that that matters but it's just this form of expression they're into maybe different forms of art a lot of punk rock a lot of that kind of anti-establishment um, a lot of graffiti, musicians, just just that kind of it's that Generation X that they maybe didn't want to follow the norm, and so that was for me. Skateboarding is still synonymous with that. That I don't necessarily fit in. I'm kind of um, living a life less ordinary. I've heard it called before, mm-hmm. where I just I'm not into doing what everyone else does, and not in a just for the sake of not doing it, but I follow my own path and. I take elements of so many different things. Spirituality is very, very important to me. Music's very, very important to me. And things like skateboarding, whilst I don't do it in the way that I did in my teens and maybe in my 20s, I'm not hurling myself down stair sets and I'm more aware of my bones and how that they can break. But I still kind of get the same feelings. And when I 
when I skateboard now and I actually have so much less expectations of myself, because one thing that I used to have, which was really quite negative, was this mindset of that I should always be better mm. or always comparing myself to other skaters in the skate parks or whatever. Whereas now my flow is about just rolling around and enjoying it. And that actual flow state I can get quite easily where I'm just pushing along and going fast or maybe I bought myself a carver because I'm quite into surfing as well mm -hmm. so a skateboard with really loose trucks and you're really carving around and not even bothering about kickflips and all that stuff down stair sets and you get into that flow state and I'm straight back to being a 12 year old just rolling along and that same feeling of just kind of freedom I suppose so yeah skateboarding yeah. for me is almost a, a reflection of the rest of my life of getting into that flow state of being of accepting of being present being mindful and not worrying about anything else just being immersed in this thing that gives me incredible joy that you almost can't explain but I don't need to either because it just is that also kind of transcends other elements of my life of wanting to eat well I don't drink alcohol or take drugs or anything and just looking after my body I do a lot of yoga and just doing things that help me help my mind clarity but also my body clarity if that is even a thing but it, it kind of it just makes sense to me to look at all the areas of myself and um to do things that are going to nourish me rather than hinder I think I, I see it in in this, this the stuff that I see online, you know, and uh, I, I know I think again I, I talk about online. I know that you took some time off of social media because again I imagine that that helps you, you know, be in the moment, be present for your family, for your friends, and for your business. So um, you know that that that's that's part of it. But I, th there's one thing I have spotted on on social media is the Dharma punks. Now I, yeah. I, I'm imagine you want to talk about this, and I'm really interested to hear about it. So kind of tell me what the ethos or how you how Dharma Punk started and what it's all about, if you won't mind, please. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so just one step back in terms of the social media, I have a a real, it, it's an oxymoron to me, I suppose, in terms of that I see that there's such negativity within social media in terms mm. of the way it perpetuates neg negativity and the way that people are so invested in it that they are missing so many moments in life and also comparing themselves to this digital highlight reel of other people's lives and invariably not actually meeting the mark mentally so I see the negativity of that and so yeah I did take time out and also I don't really feel the need now to and I probably did and this was, was very very much ego based but to just be kind of showing off areas of my life this is so cool look at me doing this because it's yeah. always it's just this snapshot picture that in no way actually relays your emotions. I could take a picture of me on a beautiful beach with my surfboard in front of me and be in a terrible mind space. And I think people don't understand that, yeah. that what we're looking at is not in any way, shape or form reality. But that aside, I started Dharma Punk. Well, I didn't actually start Dharma Punks. I started a version of Dharma Punks. So Dharma Punks is a book that was written by my Buddhist teacher, a guy called Noah Levine, and he wrote it nearly 30 years ago now. He's an American guy who lives in Venice Beach, mm -hmm. a skater and surfer as well, heavily tattooed. And he was a punk rocker and got into a lot of trouble with the law and drugs and drink and stuff and completely changed his life through Buddhism and meditation and mindfulness and wrote Dharma punks. So Dharma means spiritual truth within Buddhism. And obviously punks is just the, the punk rock ethos, which Buddha kind of fits into because he went against the stream mm -hmm. in terms of he went against the um, Hindu racist and sexist caste system and that was 2600 years ago so the punk ethos was there even then we say that buddha was a punk <laughs> um so yeah so uh noah is my teacher and he's been teaching me the dharma and to become kind of a little bit of a meditation teacher and a just a, a teacher of the dharma for the last couple of years now i think and um so i've started up the the uk kind of section or um uk whatever of the dharma punks and i've called it surf sangha surf because we're into surfing but also kind of cold water swimming and submersion and sangha or sangha people say it in different ways means mm -hmm. spiritual community so it's dharma punks surf sangha and um i started a men's circle um last november december time and unfortunately because of covid and stuff we we couldn't we, we well we initially meet met in person mm. and then after a while with the covid stuff we had to meet online and we've been doing so since apart from we did a, 
a retreat recently, which I'll talk about later, if that's yeah, cool. Definitely. That was really, really special. But the idea with it is actually just sharing the Dharma, so sharing spiritual truth. It's with a Buddhist slant, because I am a Buddhist, but it's mm-hmm. also much more about just exploring spirituality and relationships with men. Longer term, we're going to look to open it up. I'd like to have a mixed circle and find uh, a like-minded soul to to lead the woman's circle, mm-hmm. the women's circle, and then kind of come together because I think it's really important to have the men's energy on its on their own because men will react differently with women, the women's energy, but then to get it together collectively to discuss things that are, you know, to get the woman's perspective on actually what it's like to be catcalled, what it's like to feel uncomfortable in a club because men are mentally undressing you or even to be touched which is something that needs to be spoken about i know when that poor woman was killed in london by the policeman it Mm. did become prevalent for a while but so much so much things or so many things happen to women that are absolutely abhorrent that again are completely normalized so i think it's really important to to have these conversations and within my men's circle we do we talk about toxic masculinity and I know, I'm sure you know what that means, but just in case anyone who could potentially be listening yeah. doesn't, toxic masculinity is basically what happens within most of the Western world, where men are shamed for having emotions. Men are taught that you shouldn't cry, that you have to have that kind of stiff upper lip and just really be this manly man who's just about the outside in. And that's why it's no kind of surprised really that the biggest single killer of men under 45 is suicide which again you'll know and i'm presuming this is why you're doing this podcast to get men talking and actually to gain an understanding that there's another way and being vulnerable vulnerable having vulnerability Mm -hmm. within your life with your friendships and to be able to say to your mates do you know what i'm fucking struggling right now i'm my head is just not stopping i'm not finding it easy and to, to not have the piss taken out of you for that to actually I'm sorry you feel like that, mate. Do you know what? I felt like it, but I did this and it helped. Or I really don't know what to say to help, but I'm here for you. Bones, you I've, got, I've got goosebumps, man. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's where we're at, though, isn't it? It's where we yep. need to be at. Mm-hmm. And so that actually is a roundabout way of saying is exactly why I started the Dharma Punks. I wanted a forum, a safe space for men to actually just share, to be close to have friendships where you can hug other men mm-hmm. where you can own your demons where you can actually be honest my mate posted it recently um and it was brilliant and he said you've probably seen this we all have our own personal fight club in our heads but no one talks about fight club <laughs> yeah and it, it's so so true we have this idea within the West and I'm kind of, I suppose I'm scathing about the West a lot because I just see the way that indigenous populations around the world have embraced, um, you know, growing old community feel mother nature, you know, being at one in symbiosis. And we just go against that and have this idea of being superior. And unfortunately that's just to me taken us so far away from source that we don't actually, um, really connect we don't connect human wise we connect through screens we connect through our phones and it's just it's taken away or de- dehumanizing us in a lot of ways mm. we're so much into computer games and watching other people's lives that a lot of us don't even spend time in nature we don't really connect with our own feelings or our own heads so we're scared we're scared of our brains and we have this concept that our, our minds are against us and they're not if we understand the way that our minds work and that everything actually is quite impersonal. Our, our brains do our own thing and they think so many unvolitional thoughts. And if we can actually go past that and turn towards with compassion, then we can allow the negative, the, the dark kind of to pass, to let the light in because you don't get dark without light and vice versa. So when we accept that, we can move forward. Sorry, I've kind of gone on a little bit of a tangent. But yeah, so my, my Dharma Punk Surf song, it's got different elements to it um we do the cold water submersion which yes. is really important to me yeah so we go in the sea and i've done that throughout winter and had a little bit of a group of people that have done it that's not just men that's men and women and it's kind of become quite organic so it's not necessarily that we organize it but we've done a little bit of organized stuff where we um we've done meditations on the beach as well i have this weekly circle where we do a guided meditation a little bit of breath work breath work is quite important to me in terms of shifting energy blockages and stuff there's 
loads out there. So for people interested, Wim Hof, which a lot of people know yeah. now, he's an amazing guy. He's a good place to, place to start if people want to look into breathwork, but there's loads of others as well. We then, so we do the breathwork. I do a guided meditation, about 20 minutes to half an hour, and it's a mindfulness meditation. And what's really important about that is understanding the distinction between meditation and mindfulness because a lot of people think that with meditation you're, you're looking to completely clear your mind which in my head is just impossible what you do is you learn to observe your thoughts but not relate to them so they become mm -hmm. the background you concentrate more on your present time awareness of your body of the smells the sounds etc and what your what your body and mind is actually doing so you just become the observer and then the more that you learn that you're able to do it within everyday life mm -hmm. and then we do a dharma talk so i lead a certain element of the dharma so it could be anything from karma to um i did one on the buddhist cosmos which was interesting and all different things and it's open it's within buddhism and what's so beautiful for me is it's not indoctrination it's not this blind dogma it's about listen to the dharma interpret it see if it resonates for you if it does then maybe live by those principles if it doesn't then don't it's not i'm not going to push what i believe on anyone it just works for my life mm -hmm. and then the end of the 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 kind of meeting that we have is a men's sharing circle and the idea if you're in person with that and a lot of people will know this anyway is that each person gets to talk individually and we would pass something around i used to pass a little um like a Tectec skateboard or a little plastic surfboard. And that when the person is holding that, or metaphorically when we're online, then they speak and no one else interrupts. So it's their time to share. Yeah. Or not, if they don't want to, they don't have to. It's just open. And then at the end, if, you know, if it's being quite emotional, then other people have the opportunity to, to hold space and maybe to give their insight or just a little bit of support, really. And it's been beautiful. And each of us, there's there's up to 16 of us, but invariably it's between six and eight because people can't make it every week. And yeah. what we find is that um, over the time, people go through different things. I've gone through a breakup recently and people have supported me with that. And they've supported me because I've been vulnerable. And that's been hard because there's this perspective or I had this perspective of myself or maybe too high expectations really that as the Dharma teacher, can you be vulnerable? Can you say, well, look, I've actually struggled in a way that mm. I ended with this this partner that I'd been with for five and a half years. And at times it's been shit. You know, at times I've gone to really dark places and mm. maybe just gone into real um, victim mode. But luckily for me, I believe that the, when you don't mask yourself with drinking drugs and like just loads of TV to kind of not have your emotions, you feel them really, really strongly but they pass so much more easily. So add maybe half a week of really dark times, but then I'm coming through and really seeing the light. And when you do the right things, the things that are going to nurture and nourish yourself, then life just becomes so much easier. So yeah, so that that's my bit where people supported me, but everyone else has been supported at different times. And it just, it, it's not a hierarchical thing that I'm better than anyone else. We each support, we each have our own insight. And that's the beauty of it. It's just an open and honest um, group, really. And each yeah. person has so much to offer. So it's beautiful. We also do, as part of it, I'm really into the environment, feel very strongly about this. I don't eat meat, I'm vegan. And I really look at what I'm buying in terms of fast fashion and how much stuff I need. I try to buy secondhand, really go as plastic free as possible. And people think it's kind of weird i must look weird but i can't walk down the street without picking up litter <laughs> not to go off but it's just what i do and I, once you get into that mindset it's hard to walk past it i organize a monthly beach clean for my dharma group and a lot of people i say a lot some people come along not everyone can and it, it's just shifting your perspective of life as to like part of buddhism anyway is being of service and it's meant to be, there's four types of happiness that Buddha taught. And the highest one is living a life that is blameless in the eyes of the wise. So it's doing things basically for others, being altruistic. So the Dharma group isn't a profit thing for me at all. It's mm. people sometimes donate and that money just goes back into the group to buy you know, biscuits and drinks for when we do meet in person. But it's about helping people and the 
the cleaning of the rubbish and stuff. It's mm. about helping people. When my children see it, like my daughter, who she's two, nearly three, like she will go onto the beach and she will pick up rubbish as well. And that's natural to her. So yeah. it's modeling behavior. Because again, that's so important to me. We can say what we want. We can read the books that we want. But that's just paying lip service to it. It is in our actions that we're defined 100%. And not from a judgmental, you're wrong point of view, but just it doesn't matter what you read. Be the change. Be what you want to be. Actually do it. Model it. And then people around you will kind of see it intrinsically. You know, quite a few of my friends that, that drink a lot, they will talk to me about it. And to a man, and I'm not saying alcohol is evil. I think it, for me personally, it's the cause of a lot of a lot of negativity and the way it's so normalized to, to really binge drink and to, to drink as much as we do, mm. certainly within the UK, I think is is pretty bad. And especially, like I said, that it's so normal. But it's just people are aware. And when, when you mirror to them a little bit of, well, you know, there is another way. And I certainly don't try and indoctrinate people with it's bad to drink. But if people ask me, I tell the truth. I wasn't an alcoholic in any way, shape or form, but I see the negativity in it. And so I choose not to. I choose not to put toxins in my body that are going to impair my ability to think straight. And so you can just, again, like I said, with the toxic masculinity or the misogyny, you can show things without it being a you're wrong. Just allow them to. So, yeah, that's it, really. That, that's what I'm leading. On a basis. It's brilliant. I mean, you know, it, it's it's hitting home with me so much at the moment because um, I, I saw a, a, a talk. Um, there was a kind of a, an online networking thing the other day with um, Tom Chapman, who I'm sure you're well aware of, I assume. Uh, well, you could say that. So Tom is my friend and I'm an ambassador for the Lions Barber Collective. So, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I kind of assume that would be the case, but um, just for anybody that doesn't know who Tom Chapman is, uh, he's a, a Torquay-based barber and he started the Lions Collective, which is about suicide prevention particularly amongst men and, and he's using you know barber shops and hairdressers uh, and, and he's training people up to be counsellors basically um because you have that when you're cutting somebody's hair that is possibly the most personal you'll get with somebody who is not your partner or a member of your family because it's quite an intimate act isn't it if you've got your hands on someone's head and you're cutting their hair those conversations you have with them um are you know it's not just you know where are you going on holiday uh, i hope you're having a good week it's it gets much deeper than that so I, I totally get so i've just heard that talk and then i'm hearing you talk about um cold water therapy i mean i'm into my cold water my wild swimming at the moment um meditation certainly something i practice uh, within that there's the breath work so everything that you're talking to me about is really hitting home with me and and this is what i want to kind of make sure that other guys listen to and again like you said it's not I'm not preaching at people take from this what you want because it seems to be serving me well and that's that's message I'm hearing from you Bones. Oh 100% yeah Tom Chapman's an amazing guy he's a good mate of mine um we cut up festivals or I have done over the years not recently obviously because everything's been cancelled but Tom came <laughs> along to download and cut with me once and um yeah, he's, he's a really great guy. And what he's doing is amazing. I mean, the story is that he did it because, unfortunately, one of his clients did take his own life. Yes. And the way that he's got it out there is phenomenal. And it kind of, I've gone, I mean, I'm still an ambassador, but I've gone my own way in terms of creating my song here. But yeah, um, 100%, the the role of the barber is really important because it's, you're, you're, you're their friends, you see them every three or four weeks, depending upon their, their kind of cycle of haircuts. Mm -hmm. And you're personally invested, but also one step removed, because for the most part, you're not seeing them socially. I mean, some yeah. of my clients certainly do. And so there's that, that the degree of separation from the rest of the client's lives, but that real intimacy, as you described, where they do feel safe, they do, for the most part, allow themselves to be vulnerable so it's a really it's a like a, a key relationship that can be fostered that and can be um really nurtured i suppose that over time you get to know them you get to know the client's idiosyncrasies you i think if you're a good barber like the haircut is part of it and it's an important part of it but as much is your ability to listen your ability to read the emotions mm. of the client and your ability to interact. So if you don't like people, being a barber really isn't the job for you, I would suggest. Yeah. And with that, and with that understanding of people, 
you can read their emotions. And, and again, the more kind of stuff that you do with meditation, mindfulness and all of that, and when you're not um, masking your body with lots of other things, then you become more intuitive. And I think, you know, people call, people say about empaths and, you know, you're more mm -hmm. intuitive than them. I don't believe that that's the case. I think we all come from source. We're all one. We're all the same. So it's just whether we are masking ourselves completely so that we're not as connected to ourselves as we could be. So the more that you are, you get into that and the more with Barbara and with the clients, if you are going to be um, empathetic with them and in touch with your own emotions, then you'll be able to read theirs. And so when people are struggling, be aware of that. In terms of just addressing what you said about the, the preaching, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, it just everything that I do makes sense. I can see within my life and within my past, so much of what I did didn't make sense. And I would always find excuses. I would blame other people for my mm -hmm. unhappiness. Certainly partners that I've had, blame them that you did this and I feel this. Yeah. And I say, no, no, bullshit we create our own suffering it's the second noble truth in buddhism and it just resonates so much for me no one else creates suffering for me i create it i create suffering in my life choices in if i choose to mentally self-harm if i want to dwell on stuff and see the negativity within life you know we, we can look to the good or look to the bad in any situation so all of what i kind of i don't want to say preach because that would sound like i think that i'm superior but all that i share is what mm -hmm. works for me and i yeah. always give that within my dharma group and when, when i'm talking to anyone this is my opinion this works for me try it out as you said try it out for yourself and what resonates then work with and the bottom line is for all of us that we do intrinsically know yeah like the number of my and i'm not, not trying to make this about alcohol but the number of my mates that say to me I wish I could stop. Yeah. And it's like they could if they wanted to. And again, that's not judgment, but you know, I wish I didn't drink. It, you know, I've got into trouble with my missus because of it or whatever. But that's their choice. That we have these choices, and so many times in my life I've had choices to make the positive decision that would nurture me or the negative, and I've chosen the negative. And so this is almost like from um from pain, I've come to a place of peace. So yeah. Yeah, it, it, everything you say just completely resonates. And, and I think if we are the change, then we almost give other people permission to be as well. You mm -hmm. know, certainly say some of your mates from 10 years ago, if they were to meet you now, or maybe you're still mates with them, they would they couldn't help but notice the difference in you. And maybe that would give them the opportunity to think, well, what is he doing? What's different? Why is he not negative now? I'm not mm. suggesting you were, but if this were the case, sure. why is he suddenly so full of life? Why is he always glass half full? Why is he grateful for everything rather than moaning about the traffic? So, yeah. Bones, I I, I love it. I really do. Uh, I just want to touch on the on the on the hot rod side of things. You're a, are you a bit of a hot rod fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've always, again, I suppose that living life is less ordinary and being a bit different. I've been into old stuff for, for years, really, mm -hmm. and never been into kind of the old Porsche, BMW, Audi type lifestyle of showing, well, I, I mean, I'm not saying, it's gonna, for me, it's, it's kind of showing status to a certain extent in their sure. cars, I'm not saying everyone does, but never been into that. But I've been into old vehicles and in the early, what would have been 2000s, I bought an old camper around a 1968 bay window and really loved that and went on adventures with my then wife and two children and really just getting out into nature and we used to do the the shows and stuff and at a lot of vw shows you get hot rods yeah. and i've kind of always liked the americana and like american graffiti i don't know if you know the film i do that I know that it came well. out yeah. years ago so into that kind of hot rod model a like exposed engine chopped and channeled so cut up vehicles that in the 50s the teenagers were doing you know they were yeah. getting 30s cars and making them into hot rods and I even before I had a hot rod had a hot rod tattoo on my arm of a model a and I got a couple now and so going to the VW shows I saw hot rods and was always although I loved the the vehicles the the kind of the customized vehicles I was erring towards um wanting to have a hot rod more of an American 
V8 muscle car. Yeah. And on all the kind of brash noise that goes along with it. And customized stuff was always my thing in my shop. That there's a lot of individual things that I don't. I'm not really into going to IKEA and just buying the same as everyone else. So I lo- if you were to be in my shop, there's a, a, a cash register that's from 1908. There's a cut-up T-shirt of suicidal tendencies, the band um, that was my mate's when he was a teenager, and I've made it into a poster. Um, there's enamel signs. There's all just individual things that make my shop completely unique. Mm-hmm. And to me, hot rods are synonymous with that, that there is no, or there are, sorry, no two hot rods across the world that are exactly the same because each one has so many idiosyncrasies. They'll have been finished slightly differently. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I have owned some stuff and I just actually recently got rid of it but I had a 1951 Ford F1 truck that was on air ride had a nice V8 in had Sandyman chop shop painted on the side yeah and was a real head turner and I know it's hedonistic but part of me really liked that that you get down the street and everyone's looking at you I've taken it to different shows we once cut hair at the Alexander well, a couple of times we did actually but at the Alexandra Palace yeah. at the Great British Tattoo Convention and as part of our stall, they allowed us to take the truck in. So literally, I drove my truck into the Alexandra Palace, and the acoustic was amazing, and I was revving the engine really loudly, <laughs> and it was filling the whole of it. And then you just get to your point, you slam it down, so you you drop it, mm-hmm. so on the airbags, it, it goes basically to the floor, so yeah. it looks like a, I don't know, a hovercraft or something. <laughs> and then it just looks cool, and it advertises my business. So yeah, really enjoyed having that and it, it i suppose in a way was part of my identity and i still love hot rods and i'm still really into that scene and did you know different things over the years my my the partner who i've just recently split up with she was a bit of a pinup model and um she got the opportunity to walk the catwalk in las vegas at the biggest hot rod and rockabilly show in the world which is called viva las vegas so we went over there and um she did walk the catwalk and I got to see all these American hot rods and talk to some of the, the car clubs. And it was phenomenal. It, it was just like, um, just car porn. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I say that word and I don't like to, cause just to, to make it absolutely clear, I'm 100% anti-pornography. I think it's responsible for so much negativity in the world. And, um, yeah, it's terrible, but I could do a whole podcast on that. So I'll leave that there, but for just, to, to make that distinction, pornography to me is very, very negative and does not help people at all. So anyway, but I'll move on from that. Just <laughs> yeah, no. Where I didn't want to. But yeah, so really, really been into Hot Rods. Interestingly, though, um, I sold it recently and it was quite cathartic for me. And one of the things that I've been doing recently is like, I've moved into a very small flat and I've got rid of a lot of my worldly possessions and that has been so healing for me. I've always owned houses and had some quite big houses over the years. When I was a teacher and assistant head, I was earning a good wage. And my wife at the time earned a good wage as well. So we had a lot of, um, I suppose we bought into consumerism, commercialism and the whole capitalist state that we live in, really. Mm-hmm. And in letting go of that and in letting go of my truck, it, it's been a, a beautiful kind of almost shedding of skin of realising that, I don't need much. I don't need many possessions. I don't need to just buy stuff because to me, the buying stuff is really just synonymous with a lack of peace and clarity within. So really I could now, obviously I've got quite a bit of stuff within my two shops, but in terms of my worldly normal, like household possessions, I could fit everything in the back of an estate car and that would be me. And in some ways, people might see that as, oh, wow, he's got nothing. And if they came to my place, it'd be like, it's really small. It, it doesn't show status at all. But that is beautiful to me, mm. that I don't need those things. They don't define me. You know, my legacy, if there is such a thing, in death will hopefully be the way that I lived my life, how authentic I was, and that I've tried to help people. I've tried to do good and tried to send out love to everyone. And... And not hold grudges. I used to. I used to have this real thing of of not enemies in terms of people you want to kill or hurt, but just you know the barbers that have left my shop that maybe didn't act that skillfully or that wisefully. 
like wisely so and maybe stab me in the back a little bit that I'd feel resentment towards mm-hmm. and I don't feel that at all now I do a, a heart practice on a daily basis and meditation where you send out love in all directions it's called meta like unconditional friendliness or kindness mm-hmm. and I say and send it out to individual people as part of my meditation may you be happy may you be at ease may you be free from suffering and I send that out to people who would be perceived enemies or people that like I said I felt have wronged me and for my my partner or my ex-partner I send her out love and wish her love with someone else you know I wish her to find peace and happiness and it's okay for that not to be with me because if you really do love people then you should wish them you know you should set them free there's a brilliant song that says you have to love in a way that sets them free and that's so true and that's what to me love is and that is my legacy I hope one of my questions was about uh, what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind so you've you've always you've you've pretty much answered that one and uh, you know and I think it's a great legacy to have um I always end the podcast with these four questions so legacy we've taken care of um well, back to man if you like what do you think it takes to be a man in the in the in the modern world bones well, that's a hard one. I think it's a what, big question. It should, yeah, it is. What it should take is being in touch with every part of yourself. To me, men should be able to um, step into their masculine and to own that, to honour that, to honour that real um, animalistic masculine side of, not in terms of, you know, grabbing a woman by the hair or any rubbish like that but just to you know to chop the wood if that's what you want to do to be working on the car working on the in the garden cutting stuff up digging stuff up and really embracing that and also to to embrace the aggression within you we have that fire we're prehistorically we are predisposed to have aggression within us now that doesn't mean that you would take it out on anyone that you would hurt anyone but to understand it and allow it to allow those emotions but to not to, to actually to kind of have that outlet in a positive so if that would be beating up a pillow going and screaming or to me tearing up on a skateboard mm-hmm. then that's okay as long as you're not hurting anyone else but also the flip side of that is for a man to be able to absolutely embrace their feminine side to show vulnerability with their friends to cry in front of their mates to to show vulnerability and this is key in front of their children to allow if they're in a heterosexual relationship their their feminine side to come out so that maybe their partner she can step into her masculine but then it's the dance between sometimes the woman will want to be completely in her feminine and you in your masculine and and there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't have to be that the roles are so defined. I'm the man, I do this, you're the woman, you do that. And it, I mean, it doesn't have to be exclusively for heterosexual relationships anyway. But to be able to have that dance between emotions and, and for it to be acceptable and to be honest, open, authentic, and most of all vulnerable, to really to be able to own your emotions. And I think that's the biggest thing within the Western world that we don't do men are not taught to actually say i'm struggling Mm. life is getting too much i'm not happy i don't know why but I, i struggle in life and i think we have so much cognitive dissonance within certainly the uk where we live in such relative ease you know compared to something i've been to india i spent some time in goa and you see how little people have and you see women working on the roads carrying massive boulders on their heads Mm. and then we're moaning because we don't get enough likes on instagram or um we're not earning as much as we want to or or anything i'm not belittling people's pain and suffering because it's all real whether we get an email that causes us distress or whether we're running away for the free of our lives the chemical responses are the same so i'm not belittling those but what i'm saying is that the cognitive dissonance that we have of we have everything but we feel not enough because we're looking outside in. No matter what car we get, we won't be enough. No matter how much money we earn, we won't be enough unless we find the happiness from the inside out. And I think for men especially, that's so um, highlighted that because we can't own our emotions, well, it's not that we can't, but because we're in most ways taught to suppress them, that Mm. we can't be authentic men. So yeah, 
uh, I don't know if that really answers the question, but it, just... it, it more than answers the question, Bones. Definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, that, um, that's me... how I feel. Excellent. Uh, okay, so one more for you before we get to the final question. Uh, who has? And I, I, I kind of got an answer. I think I know who you might say, but who has inspired or who's been the most influential person or people in your life? Um, well, that's, that's a good question because it actually is something I did want to touch on before finishing. Um, well, first of all, Noah. Yeah. Learning the Dharma through him. So mm-hmm. Noah Levine owns Against the Stream Meditation Center, which is a meditation center in um, Venice Beach, California. Um, so yeah, Noah, I'm so grateful for him, for the meetings that we have and for the Dharma and for his interpretation of it. Because he's really, really quick to say that um, take everything with a pinch of salt. Don't make false prophets of Dharma teachers. Don't believe everything they say get your own understanding and your own viewpoint. And that's really important for me because it's easy to get a guru and to, to um, pedestalize them Mm. and hang on every word that they say, but it's actually to me and, and Noah owns his vulnerability. He owns his demons and doesn't in any way, shape or form profess to be, um, you know, to to be a, a God or to be enlightened. He doesn't mm. see that. He's just a dude who's doing his best and who's got 30 years on the mat. And that's how he described himself. So he takes everything with a pinch of salt. He's a heavily tattooed guy who smokes, curses, and um, doesn't drink, obviously. So he, he's not perfect. So he's a huge inspiration to me. Other than him, the, the biggest, really, influences on my lives are, are my friends. And what I find is that, that when you start to to resonate or to, to kind of move your vibration slightly that you, I believe, manifest or bring towards you people of a certain vibration. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying that hierarchically, that I'm a higher vibration or lower vibration to anyone else, but we just resonate together. And interestingly, my best mate, John, um, we met through the Hotwood scene. We met in 2014 or 2013 at a Hotwood show called Hotwood Hayride in Bisley in Surrey. And, um, he just walked to my, I had a barber store there and he walked up and we were just like, boom, best mate straight away. I don't even know how it just like, we kind of, it turned out we'd already been following one another on Instagram, but initially like our relationship, our friendship was based a lot on real outside in stuff. So we were really into tattoos. He's a skater, surfer, he's a motorcyclist into his Harleys and I had my hot rod and all that. And so a lot of what we talk about and we used to drink together, I, he, he didn't live close to me. He's a Kiwi actually he's from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But, um, so a lot of what we would do was quite hedonistic. And then our friendship just deepened and deepened. And he went back to New Zealand, um, to Auckland cause his dad was unfortunately dying for a couple of years. So we couldn't see one another, but we still Skyped. And, and then he came back and he had some, real um this was 2018 yeah 2018 i believe some had to face some demons with some real crap that went down for him and he chose to stop drinking at that point and he actually went to another friend of mine's birthday james who doesn't drink either and he's really really he's a yoga teacher really into spirituality and the combination of me being into my stuff and james and coming to going to this basically had a birthday party that had an ecstatic dancer like a rave but without drink had a cacao ceremony so we did this ceremony of cacao and you kind of get this heart opening high from chocolate rather than from um, drink or drugs and then we did a guided meditation and a gong bath so all these hippy dippy stuff that might sound weird to people but it really john pinpoints that as kind of a, a bit of a change in his life like i said he stopped drinking which gave him some clarity he started to do some inner child work and our friendship has just blossomed and we've gone from, com- it's just deepened and deepened and deepened. And he's the the biggest external influence in my life. I love him like a brother and we, we, you know, we say that whole brother from another mother, but it couldn't be more accurate. And I love him so much and we own that. We say, I love you all the time. We're, I mean, he's a big guy. He's like 6'2", muscular and stuff heavily tattooed we've got quite a few tattoos that are the same he's got tattoos on his face but he's a gentle giant and you know like we could be at a show and someone took a picture of it and he's lying down and I'm lying with my head on his chest and 
you know, we're not in a sexual relationship in any way, shape or form, but we are comfortable enough and our friendship has just got to this level of, of such beauty and we're, we're on this path together. We're individuals, we, you know, we're not in one another's pockets, we're not chatting all the time, we're not getting in the way of other elements of our lives, but our friendship's so deep that if we don't talk for a while, there's none of that, he didn't call, why is he not there for me? Mm. We are open and honest and it's beautiful. And the same with James as well. He's such a good friend of mine. And we we model behavior for one another, I suppose. We're not perfect. We still mess up. But we know the way that we want to live our lives. We know that we want to do the work every day. I don't even really see it as work. But the way we're putting things into our bodies. We're acting in ways. We're using stimuli or, or stuff that's going to help us. So rather than just watching Netflix, I'll listen to a podcast. I'll... Um, do a guided meditation, do a yoga nidra. I'll um, just listen to things that I think are going to nourish me. I don't really read novels. I read books that are, again, nurturing my soul, getting my brain thinking. I've got, I'm really into the spirituality, but also I'm into the idea of neuroscience and that actually this is the way that our brains work. So I read a book recently called The Fear Project by uh, a journalist, Buddhist and surfer. And so he really kind of goes into the the way that our brains work but talks also about love like what is this concoction of kind of drugs that we have when we're on love you know the kind of this the serotonin oxytocin all of these things the cortisol that actually alter our brains that we don't even think straight so when we're in love or in infatuation and just all of this gaining a greater understanding of every bit of me and it seems like the friends that I choose to spend time with it's not even necessarily that I choose to, but they just resonate with me. So we end up spending time with that. They're on a similar kind of path. So the things that we chat about aren't arbitrary, you know, and there's nothing wrong with chatting about football or, or hedonistic stuff, but it's just sometimes we'll still do that. But for the most part, we want to really talk a little bit more deep about things. And that leads me on to, so John, his path has mirrored mine so much that we're actually working together. So he does the Dharma punks with me, but we've also started men's retreats that we're calling new savages. And the reason we use that name is because we believe that savages are, it's a term that was um, coined for a lot of indigenous tribes, you know, the Maoris, the Aborigines, Mm. the native American Indians. And that, you know, the, the missionaries came across whatever, or the, the colonials and they are savages they live this way they do this that, and the other but um a lot of those practices the community elements the living with the land the being in touch with mother nature and spirituality they are what we want to embrace we want to go back to that taking technology away a little bit um and so we are new savages and we've used that partly because obviously the dharma punks whilst i'm leading that it isn't actually my thing i'm, I'm doing the uk version of it but it's Noah Levine's so the new savages is ours and we are um we've started retreats we did our first one and within that we explore inner child work so really understanding male relationships we do some of the cold water submersion we even did um elements of real like kind of masculine movement uh, based on Maori elements I don't want to go into too much detail of that because um if people come along they'll I don't even know what that's for <laughs> But yeah, so the, the new savages we're leading, we did our first one and it was really, really magical. It was, it had everything. We did a bit of um, guided meditation, a bit of yoga that I led. I'm not a yoga teacher, but I know enough about yoga just to get some basic flow. And so it it came from a really vulnerable place. And we're also looking to take elements of what we work into schools and really just going back to the pornography and toxic masculinity, really getting to people at a young age and, you know, and, and getting to, to young men and women, this idea that, do you know what, if, um, I don't know, if, if you watched Back to the Future or, you know, the, the, the future and the Back to Future where it, mm. it's all messed up, yeah. if that was your, your understanding, if that's all you watched to an idea of what 2020 was going to be like, you'd get a completely distorted version of what 2020 would be like, what life is like. And if you're watching porn, that's what your idea of sex is and for most young people because again fathers and sons we don't really have those conversations or mm. predominantly obviously some do but yeah. these it's sex is such a taboo that we don't have these conversations and then people find out things in really negative ways so we're looking and obviously my background in teaching will hopefully help with that 
but for getting to the grassroots of really of of just unpacking what it's like to be a teenager and um how negative pornography is how negative toxic masculinity and misogyny is and um racism sexism homophobia all those things but from a, a non-teacher maybe slightly cool even that's an arbitrary word tattooed <laughs> guys going into a school with that degree of separation yeah that can hopefully make it accessible to young people so yeah so that's the new savages we're we're kind of in our infancy it's just really a branch of the dharma punk surf song but something else that we're doing and it's just been beautiful that it's with my best mate who is my biggest advocate also my biggest teacher in a lot of ways and um we bounce off from one another and i think the biggest thing is like we know that this is our path being of service is our path i go more from a buddhist perspective john goes more from an inner child internal family system so more from the kind of cognitive understanding and inner child work i don't know if you've looked into it but it's key to unlocking trauma like a lot of the voices within our heads come from our teachers from our parents mm -hmm. And when we act in unskillful ways, this is that inner child coming out, out of vulnerability, out of um, fear, out of, you know, anger. And so when we can work on these elements of ourselves, it really helps us. And that's, again, what we're unpacking. So, yeah, it's really exciting times. We both were on this journey. We, we know for us that it's the way forward. And um, like when I left teaching, I wasn't arrogant in that I was going to make it a success and I wasn't thinking in a monetary way but I just kind of knew I knew that it was going to be my path and people talk about manifestation and that's what I believe it was I manifested it because I lived and breathed it mm. and it, like I said it wasn't from a place of arrogance because I was actually really nervous about being a barber so I got other people to cut hair a lot and I barely did it at first and I kind of felt my way into it over the last what six years now really Fantastic. And so yeah that is um that's me and that's the future. Brilliant. Now, there's one final question I've got for you. Um, and, you know, we have gone deep today. I just want to, first of all, say thank you. Um, you have been so, well, authentic. I know we've said that word several times, but and, I, and it's so refreshing to hear that. You know, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm not I'm not putting you on a pedestal, but a guy in your position, you know, for me looking at you, I'm like, the guy's a dude and you are a dude. And <laughs> if you, you take that how you want, but, you know, uh, and for you to then be so open and honest and you know, I've interviewed professional sports people on this, you know, a premiership rugby player. Um, and again, his vulnerability allows other people to go, oh, OK, so it's be it, it is OK to be like that. And, and you've just reiterated that. So. I want to thank you for thank that. You. Uh, I think it's amazing, Bones. Um, I, I can't wait to meet you and buy you a pineapple juice or whatever it is that you drink. <laughs> I can butcher you. I'd love, please, brother. <laughs> okay, mate. Okay, that's cool. Uh, but one final question for you, and you are qualified for this one. Uh, I need to know, what is your best dad joke, please? Oh, man. Like, they, my kids cringe so much. Um, that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of a visual one, but it's one that I've used so much um and if you can imagine my my hand doing a snake-like wave from one side to another and i would say what's this kids what's this and they'd be like i don't know dad what is it and i'd be like i don't know either and then i'd use my other hand coming back the other way and i'd say but it's coming back this way <laughs> it is super lame and there's other versions of it i'd turn my hand upside down so it would look like a crown and i'd say what's this and then say, I don't know, Dad. And I'd turn it up the other way up and I'd say, a dead one of these. So it looks like a spider. So all variants of that. But I usually find that they come naturally and they're equally as cringeworthy. Yeah. Well, they have to be. And, um, yeah. But I get away from normal jokes because most of them are pretty rubbish anyway. But yeah, I mean, quite often the, the biggest humour is in just in life, isn't it? Yeah. If you can laugh at yourself. But yeah, dad jokes, I'm pretty good at. Excellent, um, excellent. And I can I make all my kids cringe, for sure. So. Well, that is the qualification for being a father, definitely. Uh, Indeed. Bones, once again, I, I want to thank you for your time. You've you've over-delivered, you really have. Um, uh, oh, you're you know, I, I, it's, what, people don't know, this will go out on Friday morning, but uh, this is a first thing Monday morning, and you know, you've, you've found time to, to sit and talk to me. And uh, we're, we're listening to your wisdom, we're learning from your wisdom, and uh, we're very, very appreciative. So uh, once again, have a fantastic week, and thank you for your time, Bones. 
Uh, you too. And thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, you're doing your own bit exactly the same. You're putting it out there. You're being a vulnerable platform to allow change for other people. So, you know, that can't be a bad thing, can it? No. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. We release a new episode every week, so make sure to subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon.